you are interacting with people who have an eating disorder, regardless of what area of practice you work in. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Hello, and today we get to talk with Marcy Evans, RD, Certified Eating Disorders Registered Dietitian and Supervisor. She identifies as food and body image healer, and she does practice from a health at every size and anti-oppression lens. So in nutrition counseling, body image, and digestive disorders, although those are her three main areas right now, she has been, many of you know her as Marcy RD, and has taught all of us, many of us, so much over the years. Some advice, what, you know, this podcast really is for all professionals and kind of how we can avoid making, quote, mistakes that others ahead of us have done. So she shares a lot. If you're kind of newer in the field or even like me, have been around for a while, I always learn something new every time I talk with Marcy. So she tells us and reminds us that you're interacting with people with eating disorders regardless of whether you're a specialist or not. You may just not know it. And how she and many of us, most of us, I would say 99.9% of us got zero training in this. And we need we need professionals doing this work. She said if she was consulting her younger self, she would have done things differently. For example, supervision is to help us become stronger and more confident. It is not a way to point out everything that we're doing wrong. And kind of a final highlight, there's a lot more in this episode for you, but she says, I wish I would have appreciated the fact that I was a beginner. We all are beginners in different areas, and no matter how long we've been in the field, we continue to learn. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. We are here today with Marcy Evans. Marcy, we are so glad to have you with us today. Oh, I am equally glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to come chat. Yes, as Beth said, we're super excited to have Marcy Evans on today. And so just to warm things up for you, Marcy, we have some icebreakers. So mountains or beach? Oh, I can't have both. Okay, if I have to choose, it's mountains. Okay. Why would that be for you? That's me too, Marcy. So I think it's probably a handful of things. I, I do love climbing. I, I love to hike. I also love the smell of the mountains, the sort of the smell of the trees and the dirt and the crisp air. And I also have my Irish heritage. I have very, very, very sensitive sunburn prone skin. And I have a long history of damaging my skin in the name of trying to be something I'm not, which is golden brown. And so when I go to the beach, I do love going to the beach, but I wear, I'm like in full coverage and have my hat on and my arms covered and loads of sunscreen. So there's something nice about being in the shaded 
Well, that's the mountains. <laughs> that's the trend right now. Everybody is all about covering up and sunscreen and anti-aging and the whole deal. So maybe you're just trendy. Yeah. Well, that wasn't that wasn't the case when I was young. Oh, now <laughs> I'm paying the price. I get that. And this is the fact that you said you love the smell of the dirt and the things that I imagine at the beach that then you're also enjoying the sounds and the smells, just not the sunburn. Just not the sunburn. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And then breakfast or dinner? Dinner. We don't get dinner. We don't get dinner a lot. What's, what's your ideal dinner? Oh, something that I didn't have to cook. (laughs) (laughs) So just last night I was like, what I wouldn't give to just have my dinner appear for me each night. Amen. I, you know, I'm originally from Arizona and Arizona, we eat a lot of Mexican food. And so I could eat Mexican food just about every night in any form of a Oh. Mm. Mm. Sounds great. Okay. Last question. Audiobook or paper book? Oh, see, these are the most difficult questions because I do both. I am a voracious reader and consumer of, of books. Um, if I was forced to choose, it would be it would be a book that I hold, a sort of print book, but I do listen to a lot of audiobooks and I have a tendency to prefer a handheld book that I'm reading for my fiction and an audio book for my nonfiction. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to take you back and hopefully this is not too traumatizing to ask this question, but back to exam day, you're a registered dietitian. (laughs) (laughs) What do you remember about exam day? Number two, pencil or keyboard? Oh, this is so funny. I did have a keyboard. I did have a keyboard. Mm Mm-hmm. You might have been one of the first. I think I was I was I was right there because one of the stories that I do tell people when I was figuring out that I wanted to study dietetics is that my uncle mentioned to me that he met with a he meets with a dietitian, he has type one diabetes. And after he told this to me, I drove my car to the local library and checked out a book on registered dietitians. Wow. <laughs> I did not look it up on the internet. And so I'm in this funny generation where I kind of scan the bowls, you know, that when I was an undergrad. I went to a computer lab, you know, I wasn't like everybody had their own laptop, but when I did take my GRE, which was totally traumatizing, I did go to a kind of a computer site and I did take it. And then my RD exam was also via computer at a testing site. Mm-hmm. You remember anything about that day? Oh, I was so anxious. I was completely sick to my stomach. I was taking, I am a very, very, very anxious test taker. I had taken off the whole summer before and studied like a full-time job. I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours and had like mountains of, of flashcards. And I remember being amazed at the number of food service related questions that I got where I was being asked at like the number scoop number or which new utensil keys or whatever. And I, you know, I was just, and it was just so much, so much relief when I found out right in the moment that I had passed and I I just was going to my car shaking. I was just shaking the whole drive home. (laughs) It's like an unbelievable feeling. All of those years of work and hours of studying feels so good. It wasn't, it wasn't even joyful for me. It was just like a level of relief. And like, I think I was just so nervous and anxious that I couldn't quite enjoy it right in the moment. It was just like, oh my gosh, now I don't have to be sort of sick with nerves, but my body like almost like a little out of body experience. I had a headache and it was awful. 
You know, I did too. Mine, what I we actually got snail mail, mm-hmm. and my sister in law worked for the post office, so I actually went. She got it for me a little bit before it would have hit my mailbox, and so I met her there. And then once I saw it, and my friends that day said, "Let's go out and celebrate." I was so sick to my stomach, I couldn't <laughs> even. I just laid there. <laughs> anyway, all right. Thank you so much. Well, what kind of walk us through? How did you get into dietetics? How did you get into eating disorder? What did you learn in your undergrad and grad program about Mm -hmm. eating disorders? Because this podcast is for all professionals Mm -hmm. and how we get started and how we learn what we learn and then how we stay connected. Mm -hmm. So as I had mentioned, my uncle knew that I was, I think I might have been a senior in high school. He knew that I was anticipating and planning to go to college. You know, Marcy, what do you want to study? I thought I was very interested and pretty good at science, but I'm very much a people person. And I was kind of known as the foodie in my family. And I like to cook and bake. And he said, well, why do you become a dietitian? And I said, I've never heard of a dietitian. What is it? And he said, well, I meet with this person and she helps me figure out, you know, how to manage my carbohydrate and my insulin and all of that. I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds like right up my alley. And I went to the public library, checked out the book on registered dietitians. And I was just sold. I thought this is exactly what I want to do. So when I went to college, I went, there was an information session for the College of like Nutritional Sciences, and they were sort of explaining the difference between the different avenues you might go in the college. And I thought, oh, dietetics is for me. So day one of my freshman year, I was one of the few students who was crystal clear, this is what I wanted to do. But then through my undergraduate experience, because we have to take so many different kinds of classes to become a dietitian. I had so much angst and stress and lack of clarity around whether or not I had chosen the right career because I was passionate about my anatomy and physiology classes. I hated my food service classes. I loved my clinical classes, but I didn't feel particularly skilled at it. You know, community, I thought, well, that sounds really exciting, but I don't know about grant writing. I mean, I was, I was all over the place. I was more confused by the time I had graduated than when I had started. Wow. And when I applied for my dietetic internship, I got connected to my last choice of, of internship. And it was my last choice because it was the most expensive. It was an out-of-state graduate program at Cal State Long Beach, which was a, a fantastic internship. But I was then going into what for me was a mountain of of -of out-of-state graduate school tuition debt, which by the way, I'm still paying off. It was so worrisome to me that I almost didn't do my internship. And my dad had a talk with me and said, Marcy, I know this is a lot of money to you now, but this is what's going to allow you to have a career and get a good job, you know, stick with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for his counsel. I did a really cool dietetic internship in Southern California, which was incredibly stressful at the time. I look back, it was one of the hardest years of my life. I was struggling with what I didn't realize at the time was a pretty significant anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and was totally broke, had no money, had didn't know anybody in Southern California, was commuting two to four hours a day for my rotations working like a dog, you know, changing from rotation to rotation. One of the things that I say to dietetic interns is if this is feeling like one of the hardest years ever, I want you to know that that's not just sort of, you're not handling it. Well, a dietetic internship is phenomenally stressful. There's a lot of pressure and there's the financial piece, which we don't often talk about that creates a lot of pressure. And 
you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're yeah. sort of tossed around, you know, from, from place to place. I was very fortunate because by chance, I was put in a rotation for three weeks was all at an eating disorder treatment facility, a residential facility center for discovery, where that's where I was really introduced to eating disorders. And it was the first rotation in my internship. It was towards the end of my internship when I realized, oh, this is what I want to do. This is, this is so cool because I get to help people want to eat and enjoy all foods. And I had been sort of working through my own relationship to food and had discovered intuitive eating during my college years, thanks to a roommate who had recovered from her own eating disorder. And it just matched up with, I don't want to have to tell people, you know, stop eating X, Y, and Z. Or, and, and so it was really exciting to me at the time. And that's, that's when I really got hooked in to the idea of working in eating disorders, even though my first eating disorders for a formal job came, came a handful of years later. So I'll stop there. Oh, I, I've just got chills just because I didn't know that about your history and the way that you can talk to your current interns and even for people who see you because you have a very large following to know that, you know, those bills are still, you know, it's easy when we see someone with a, yeah. a beautiful picture and to think that they have, you know, like they're multimillion, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. that there's, it's a real life experience of all the drudge of the courses that didn't quite fit. And then how, what am I going to do with this and where you found your spot? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we, I think it's important to talk about those, those things. And it's one thing because I, I do work in a pre- part-time in a university setting and I have the opportunity to mentor interns and graduate students. And it's something that I talk about quite openly because I think it's something that I know for me, I felt very, very alone in and I wasn't managing it particularly well because I, I didn't understand to be talking about it and get support around it, but it was just a, a very stressful, difficult time in my life that I am grateful for you know, set the stage for so many exciting things that I've been able to do in my career. But I look back and I have a lot of compassion for my younger self, who was, I was really barely keeping my head above water. I think it is difficult to talk about too, because nobody else really has an internship like this, or you're getting paid to do your internship or something like that. And so it's definitely a beast of its own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that compassion for your younger self piece. So what are you involved in now? Oh gosh, you know, I <laughs> How much time do we have? Oh gosh, yeah, you know, my my personality has always been such that I get I get really so excited about different things and then I want to do it all and I have a hard time you know, really appreciating the the limits of time. And so I tend to sign myself up for lots of different things out of passion and enthusiasm. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I have my hands in now. So I still have my individual clinical clinical practice. I still see clients individually. It is the the center of my work. It informs everything that I do. It is my best learning. It's what keeps me sharp. I love working with my individual clients, even though my individual practice has gotten smaller over time. I I have a group practice and have a couple of dietitians who work with me. And I, it's been a really really awesome growth opportunity for me to understand how to be a colleague, but also a manager, which are two really different things, you know, honing my, my supervisory skills and being able to appreciate the aspects of, 
of running a business because, you know, running a business is very different than doing the work of the counseling. So it feels like very different skill sets. And then my other passion, in addition to kind of the individual clinical work that I and my associates do, is the clinical supervision piece. I work with a lot of both individually and in group supervision, supervise other dietitians, a passion of mine from the time. Very, very, very early on in my career was, and I'm sure we could talk a lot about this, was, wow, I got zero training in this. Aside from those sort of three, you know, three weeks during my internship, we need dietitians doing this work. So how do we make training more accessible? And so doing, I do a lot of clinical supervision, like I said, individually, but also in groups. And then that is sort of also leads to the more kind of education hat that I wear both in the academic realm. And then I also developed online courses and then have an online training platform geared towards all clinicians, but also I, I would say specifically for nutrition professionals, although I've had a lot of different professionals take my courses on nutrition counseling for eating disorders, body image, digestive health concerns have been some of my, some of my real passion areas. And then I work at Simmons University here in the Boston area where I have had the opportunity alongside Lisa Pearl and the amazing nutrition department at Simmons who have been really wonderful partners where we have co-developed a specialized dietetic internship for interns who are pretty clear that they want to do eating disorders work. And so we have been able to form a track for them where they get a lot of different exposure to eating disorder treatment at all levels of care. And then they take a couple of graduate classes with Lisa Pearl and myself, where we teach Mm -hmm. academically sort of nutrition counseling for eating disorders. And then we have a, a course that's a clinical supervision course for when they're doing doing their rotations at the eating disorder treatment facility. So that is incredibly fun and incredibly rewarding and so exciting when we see the evolution of our students where they come in and sort of the big eyes and, you know, kind of don't know what to say or how to interact with the material. And by the time they're done and becoming dietitians and they're getting hired at treatment facilities and totally kicking butt and, <laughs> and they become, you know, our, our peers and colleagues. And it's really, really, really exciting. So oh, they are so lucky to have you. I would love to just be working with you every day right now. Oh, there's have a very good time. Yeah, we would have fun. I'm going to tell you, uh, th- we could talk, we could have a podcast about every single one of those things. Mm-hmm. So uh, a question for you is how did you learn of supervision? I mean, dietitians aren't taught that, right? We we can all kind of agree that we didn't get much in our undergrad, but, or our graduate, sometimes even graduate, but it's because there's so much to cover in that time frame. Plus there wasn't a lot about eating disorders back in the day. Mm-hmm. 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 So it, this is a great question because I have a very specific introduction to clinical supervision. So I, I have a little bit of, I, I've learned a lot in my career and have I've made a couple of decisions where I've jumped into something and had I had, if I was counseling my younger self, I would have counseled myself to do things maybe a little bit differently, or I, I sort of jumped in and thought, gosh, I could have, I could have used a mentor. So I had opened up my, my private practice very part-time and I reached out to Lisa Pearl, who is a colleague and she's my work wife and um, we're, sort of, we're sort of joined at the hip these days. 
but she was very, very, very much my senior. She really is responsible for creating the field of eating disorders and dietetics, certainly in the New England area and in Boston specifically. She started doing eating disorders work at this point, probably 35 years ago and wrote, wrote the manual. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to her, which was wise of me. And we went and got breakfast together and essentially said, you know, what, what advice do you have for me? And kind of, here's what I'm wanting to do. And I, I'm very clear that I want to be an eating disorder dietitian. And the first thing she said to me was, you need to get in clinical supervision. And I said, well, what does that mean? What is clinical supervision? And she says, you need to have someone you're meeting with regularly who can support you and um, help you with cases that you're working on and um, helped you to reflect on your counseling expertise and all sorts of things that I hadn't really considered before. And I remember at the time I said, gosh, I don't have any money. (laughs) I sort of have all of this student debt. I am bootstrapping my, my practice. I'm subleasing from an acupuncturist and I'm working basically in a closet of an office. I mean, I just really didn't have anything. My, my furniture that was in there was, you know, given away for free on Craigslist. And she said, well, it sounds like you're not ready. I don't remember the exact words, but what I remember hearing the essence of what she said was, it sounds like you're not, you're not willing and ready to do that, but it's incredibly important if you want to be a skilled provider that that's your next step. And when, the way she framed it, I was like, it, I was like, oh, this isn't optional. Like I need to mm. figure out sort of how to make this work. If I want to be the kind of clinician I want to be, like I so admired Lisa Pearl that I was like, oh, I want to be a Lisa Pearl. And if being a Lisa Pearl means figuring out how to get the supervision. So I was really fortunate because in the Boston area, we have a nonprofit, the Multi-Service Eating Disorders Association, where for part of your membership, they offer super peer supervision groups for free. And so my first experience with clinical supervision was in a peer supervision group that was free. And I was so nervous that the first several months of my attending the group, I just I didn't even say anything. I just sort of sat there quietly. And it's funny because the the person, the clinician who led the led the group, and I kind of participated in a in a newbie group that was actually facilitated by a very seasoned therapist. I'm now in a peer supervision group with her. So it's really sweet to see how things things evolve. And there's so much the spirit of people being welcome and all of us being learners and that we mentor one another. That it's mm. supervision supervision isn't about you getting found out for your mistakes, it's helping all of us along to be stronger and more confident and to feel supported. So I had a very, very fortunate, very early introduction to clinical supervision. And I say to every dietitian that I speak with, particularly who want to be in eating disorders, the number one most important thing is for you to be in clinical supervision. Isn't that amazing? And more important than who you follow on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Instagram's great, but it's not clinical supervision. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. I kind of picture like, you know, social media being up in the clouds and that the supervision is boots on the ground. Like day to day, the dredge of the things that not, and I don't want to say dredge because it's, it's just the worrisome things. It's not the, you know, what your face to the world is. It's, it's right across side by side with your clients. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I love that piece of advice. Number one, most important thing. And your background with Lisa Pearl and how cool is this multi-service peer super? What is it called? So the organization is the Multi-Service Eating Disorders Association. It's META is the acronym. And, and we are so, 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 so fortunate because for me, they are the heart of our eating disorders community. They offer low-cost services to individuals and families. And then they also, it's really a hub for professionals to come together for supervision, for ongoing learning. They have an annual conference and they really set the the tone, I think for our community, which I experience our Boston community to be one of generosity, of support, of non-competitiveness, of Mm -hmm. everybody is needed here. Everybody offers something valuable and also a a striving towards equity and social justice. You know, they adopted a a weight-inclusive lens Long, long before it was popular to do so, I think they've always have tried to to move in the direction of learning and doing better. They were, I believe, one of the first kind of larger organizations where they accepted a proposal for me to to speak at when I was, you know, a baby, (laughs) baby professional. That is very cool. There's not many of those around, I don't think. Mm -mm. Marcy, you mentioned that they were one of the first groups to be weight inclusive. And so you work a lot with body image and body image healing. I would love for you to touch on that piece because it definitely is intertwined with eating disorders, but I think can be different at the same time. Yes. Yes. And I should probably speak more clearly that of course there have been so many people working in the weight inclusive space for, for decades but in, in terms of my awareness of actual organizations within the eating disorder space, they've, they are, have been open to these concepts, I think, earlier on than, than a lot of the eating disorders organizations we see that are kind of front and center. And, and that's still a big challenge within our eating disorders community, sort of the larger organizations being unclear in terms of their position around weight inclusivity. And it's interesting because I I was introduced the principles of health at every size and weight inclusivity very early on in my career, actually shortly after I I became a registered dietitian, I sort of went down, went down that rabbit hole. You know, body image is directly linked to the work that we do in eating disorders, even though every person has a relationship to their body and body image challenges are not, of course, specific to the eating disorders population. But it is an inherent part of the work when working with an eating disorder. You can't escape it. You can't separate it. But it never matched my clinical experience. And I, and again, I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that, of course, if somebody is in a severely malnourished place, we're going to be focusing on re-nourishment and medical stabilization, of course. And there is this way in which so many of us don't really know how to talk about body image or do active work on body image. And so what I observed was this sort of like punting the ball to one another. So the folks at higher level of care sort of like, oh, that comes later. And then those of us, most of my career has been outpatient. Outpatient, we're sort of like, well, I don't know what to do with this. I kind of thought once you got weight restored and re-nourished that this was going to magically get better. And it's not better. And the dietitian sort of saying, oh, it's a therapy issue. And the therapist saying, well, I don't know how to do body image. You're doing the body stuff with me. Can't you talk to him about it? And what was happening in a lot of my clinical experiences, 
nobody was doing the body image work. So you had a lot of people who were renourished, doing much better in their eating disorders and feeling completely on their own in terms of the, the real significant challenges they were feeling in relationship to their body. So this is something that I began really studying in earnest many, many years ago and, you know, actively bring this into my practice, got a lot of clinical supervision on it, read what books were available. And then it was back in 2016 that Fiona Sutherland, who's a dietitian based in Australia, had reached out to me and said, hey, I love your work. I think we have a lot in common. What if we run a workshop together? And I said, cool, I'm game because that's what I tend to do. And I said, but if we do a workshop, it's got to be body image because we have to have, not because I'm some know-it-all on the topic, but because we have to be having this conversation as a field. That is not to diminish the fact that, of course, other people were having these conversations in other areas and in different ways. But my observation was specifically as dietitians, it was this place where we were, of course, doing body image work, but then being told we couldn't and it wasn't our place. And I felt pretty passionate about having the conversation identifying the ways in which, of course, we're doing body image work and what are ways that we do that within our scope and within our training. So that's, that's a little bit of the, it's a little bit of the backstory. There's so many areas that dietitians are told that we're not supposed to be doing this work, but we have to be doing this work. And we We have to be, (laughs) I know we have to be trauma-informed and we have to be body image informed and we have to literally, I love what you said, you know, we don't know how to talk about body image and especially as dietitians, but it's the same here where I am and you're in Boston and Abby's in Dallas. It's okay. Who does the body? Does the therapist do it? Does the dietitian do it? And I think it may be, I don't know, Marcy, you helped me with this, but kind of like, like a therapist can talk about food because there's a relationship thing and an emotional attachment. And the dietitian can talk about body and emotions because the food and the eating and the weight all come in together. It's like, there's not a clear line to draw. Mm -mm. No, the, the idea that we put these things in silos and that there is a clear delineation is false. And not only is it false, it's a harmful narrative because that split between mind, body, emotion, spirit, and our sort of physical selves is actually the very the very stuff that fuels an eating disorder. And it is that integration and that connection to embodiment and and the healing between mind and body that is necessary for recovery. So not only is it not true, it's harmful for treatment teams to be functioning as if we're, we're going to have this separation. And the magic happens when we have the trust and the sort of ebb and flow of being in relationship to one another. And that is not to say I do psychotherapy because I'm not trained to do that and I'm not licensed to do that. But I'm also not going to say to my client, don't mention a feeling here. I'm not a therapist. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Do you still have these workshops ongoing or how can people find them? Yeah. So the, the live body image workshop. So it was really interesting. Fiona and I did our first live body image workshop in New York. I will tell you, we kind of thought a handful of people will register. Maybe we'll get, you know, 30 people, maybe people who we have, you know, a close collegial relationship with. And we were genuinely shocked and floored when the workshop sold out in two days. And it was like, oh yeah, we're really onto something. People are dying to talk about this. 
And so we ended up, this wasn't in the original plan, planning five more workshops where we did it in, in Boston, in Portland, in LA and Chicago. And then we ended up doing one in London. And then we were planning our next one for Australia because the Academy for Eating Disorders Conference was going to be in Australia and then COVID came. And so right now we don't have any live workshops planned, but what we ended up doing was turning it into an online course because we we were excited about everybody, more, more people being interested in having this conversation and getting this training. And again, Fiona and I feel very clear that we are in a process of learning, that this course will evolve. And we also hope that there will be other people who are excited about putting out their offerings as well. It's, it's not as if we, you know, have ownership over this, over this material, that this is, you know, one of the things that's very, very true is that Fiona and I have a very limited perspective in the fact that we walk around with a lot of privilege in a particular lens as white, thin, straight, you know, cis, able-bodied women. And there are a lot of exciting new, new courses and people developing things that have a, a vantage point in the lens that we just simply don't have. So, you know, the online course is available for purchase. We have all kinds of students and professionals take it. I've actually had individuals take the course who are in their own recovery because they feel like there aren't a lot of options for, you know, kind of the way that we've, we've formulated the course. Yeah. Um, but we, we hope that it is, we hope that it is at least something helpful. And again, something that will continue to evolve and, and will hopefully grow and improve over time. And you have an international following. I know that when I was director of certification at IADEP, there were some folks coming in who started their work in eating disorders through one of the workshops and really have that passion to become certified. So this is an international, your your workshops attract not just from Australia, but I mean, other countries as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's so nice to hear. I think that I, I, I don't know that I fully realize that there are sometimes people will say, or they'll mention, or I'll be at a conference and I'll be there and they'll say, Oh, you know, you were my first exposure. And I'm kind of like, it surprises me. I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, I didn't, I didn't quite, I don't know that I quite always, <laughs> maybe I also try not to think about it because then I might start to get a little bit overwhelmed or a little bit. <laughs> Well, oh gosh, you know, I always make mistakes and I'm always needing to improve the things. And yeah, and I've reached out for supervision with other cultures and and professionals that I don't identify as. And it seems like Marcy Evans tends to be that connecting place that people find. And that I'm so grateful that you have that effect on so many people moving forward forward. Like I said, I'd love to be your student every day. That's really nice to hear. And I hope that what I inspire is that there is a room and a need for everybody who wants to do this work and for everybody to find their own way of doing it. And that I can provide some foothold and some access to training. And that what I hope to do with my trainings more than anything, yes, build skill. Absolutely but also build confidence and empowerment and excitement that, oh, I can do this too. You know, that this, these are things that can be learned and that everybody has a unique contribution to make. And, and we, we want for more and more people to be, to be doing this work. I mean, one of the things that I think 
has been problematic is that various people have felt sort of almost like the eating disorders field can feel a little bit exclusionary sort of from the outside in and sort of, oh, and that's, that's the last thing I want. You know, I hope that, and I think that Beth, you do such a beautiful job with this. And I know how hard you worked at this with the work that you did as the director of certification at IADEP. We want the field to continue to evolve. We don't want it to be stuck in the eighties. Right. Yeah. You know, we are, you know, we want to be a field that's open to feedback and open to change and thinking about how we can Mm -hmm. continue to continue to evolve. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We need various, we need lots of different voices and ideas. So that's what I hope my training provides is an excitement and an enthusiasm and a sort of confidence of possibility and for more and more dietitians to be finding their voice and to realize how much they matter. Because one of the things that's often so difficult for a dietitian being a part of a clinical treatment team is that we can feel like the low man on the totem pole. Maybe that's a problematic phrase. Maybe I shouldn't even be using that phrase. Somebody will let me know if I have <laughs> appropriation, like the bottom one on the rung. Um, <laughs> but we can feel that way. We can feel like, oh, I don't have a doctorate or I'm not an MD. And the reality is, is that we have so much to offer and that with training and with support and with mentorship, mm-hmm. you find the language, you find the confidence you develop the the understanding of sort of the complex clinical picture and that your contribution is so necessary. But it comes back to that piece, Beth, that you were talking about is why we need that clinical supervision and why we need that mentorship. Mm-hmm. Because I remember starting out as a dietitian in the eating disorders field, feeling like I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a fraud. What are these weird words that these therapists are using? I don't know how to speak correctly. You know, Lisa Pearl always talked about when she started out in, you know, working within mental health. What is affect? Why is everybody talking about affect? You know, yeah. <laughs> right? it's like whole language, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally fraud, imposter syndrome, all those things. And that is when, when you said the part of the podcast too, is really like, we don't know what's coming next and let's stay evolving. Let's, mm-hmm. let's hear what's what everyone is saying and not stay like you said stuck in the 80s we have to keep evolving with this and I loved your example back from earlier when we were talking about coming in eyes wide open Mm -hmm. like oh my gosh and leaving with confidence empowerment and skills Mm -hmm. yeah yeah we we are needed dietitians all healthcare professionals, anyone interested in doing this work, we are all needed in this field. It is not going away. Unfortunately, we understand from not only COVID, but just the the younger and younger that people are dieting and being told that their bodies are not okay. We need you as a professional, all of us in this field, and we need you to be doing the good work and, and empowering yourself by getting that training. Mm-hmm. And I think that clearly we have specific healthcare practitioners who work with eating disorders, like everybody here, but it's not unrealistic that another healthcare professional who doesn't necessarily work with eating disorders to see somebody that has an eating disorder. And so even just being knowledgeable for that, for just the population of what you might see, I think is valuable. And so for your workshops, Marcy, is it only dietitians that attend or do you have other healthcare professionals? You're making a lot of good points, Abby. So I'm going to get a question and then I'm going to circle back. So depending on the workshop 
some of my workshops, it's really primarily dietitians that tend to attend. Like I, I just did a, a webinar on kind of the intersection of digestive disorders and eating disorders. And people said, well, can I come? I'm a coach or can I come? I'm a nurse. And I said, of course you can come. And just know this one is really kind of science-based and kind of focused from the lens of a dietitian. But it's really cool that I feel like a lot of these things that I do talk about really has a lot more appeal than just sort of a dietetic appeal that, that, and again, it speaks to the overlap of the ways that, you know, we have a specialization, you know, we're a nurse or a doctor or a psychotherapist, but there is information that sort of spans across professions. So I do have, I would say the, there's a majority of nutrition professionals who follow my work and take my trainings. And then there are also other providers who, who, who also take part. And the point that you're making, I'm so glad that you said that Abby about eating disorders training is not just about for those of us who work as a specialization in the field of eating disorders that a lot of dietitians, Beth and I know this will say, I don't do eating disorders work. And I always sort of like cringe and jump and sort of want to jump in and say, yes, you do. (laughs) And by that, I mean, you are interacting with people who have an eating disorder, regardless of what area of practice you work in. And my hope is that more dietitians will feel better able to screen, assess, and then identify appropriate resources when somebody is identified as having an eating disorder. So when they come into the ER malnourished or they're in an inpatient unit for some, some sort of complication, or maybe they're there for something else entirely. And then it's kind of realized, oh, there's, there's something else here that nutrition professionals can feel at ease being able to go in, have that conversation, do some screening and assessment and think about how to help this person. Because what, what often happens is that there's this level of anxiety that especially nutrition professionals feel around, I don't want to say the wrong thing as it relates to food. So I'm just going to avoid it altogether. Yeah. Um, which yeah. Which is also harmful. It is. And, you know, we have only talked about one of your three umbrellas, body image, digestion, um, nutrition therapy. So we're definitely going to have to have you back to enlighten us on some of the other things that you've learned along the way and that you share with others. Mm, I will. I would love to come back and chat at any time. And so then our wrap up question for you, Marcy, and you kind of maybe touched on this earlier, but I'll just ask you anyways. So taking yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? And it is a loaded question. That's what the other thing that Abby didn't say this time to you, but it's loaded. Take your time. No, this is, I'm so glad. I'm probably some of my pause will be edited out, but I'm, which is fine, but I'm just really, I'm really reflecting on this question. It's a great question. You know, I'm sure that there are a couple of things that I, I wished I would have known then. I think that what I wished I would have appreciated is that my colleagues and peers were there as supports rather than judges. I had so much worry about, do I, do I look like I know what I'm doing? Am I, am I saying the right thing? Did I make a big mistake here? And I think that that is just very common for most of us, especially when we're brand new at something. But I wish that I could have appreciated the fact that every single person also was a beginner and that a kind, compassionate clinician is going to appreciate someone who's a beginner 
and want to offer support and mentorship as opposed to, oh, that Marcy Evans has no clue what she's doing. You know, I just walked around with so much trepidation and anxiety. And I think that, you know, as somebody who's been in doing this work, you know, for a while now, that when I see someone who's brand new, I'm not watching out for them to misstep. I'm sort of thinking about, well, how do we help everybody along? And that, of course, somebody who's brand new to the field, regardless of whether or not they're a brand new dietitian, we learn by doing. That's You can read and read and attend all of the workshops and all of that is good, but you learn by doing. And so I, I, I wish I would have had a little bit of more, a better ability to rest into the fact that it's okay to be at the beginning stage of your career. And I wish that earlier on, I would have learned more, read more, paid better attention to individuals who've been doing this work, who hold identities that I don't. I wish I would have learned more from Black researchers or writers. I wish I would have read more from the fat positive community. And I, I got my information from sort of really limited spaces. And I think that that formed my understanding in a in more of a narrow way. And I think that we're doing a better job of that now. You know, also when I started in my career, social media wasn't the thing that it is now. So I think that's one of the upsides of social media, right? Is that we, we have access to more perspectives more easily. Yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah, awesome. Marcy, how can we find you? How can everybody see you on Instagram, your awesome website that you have with really good blog posts? Give us all the information there. <laughs> oh, my marketing director is going to appreciate you saying that, Abby, because she's always wishing that I did more writing of blog posts. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty easy to find online. My handles and URL are pretty consistent at MarcyRD, which is M-A-R-C-I. RD, of course, is registered dietitian. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, so I am there and try to make meaningful contributions. And then I also take pauses, a little overwhelming, but really, really do love to interact with colleagues, new and old, online. So I look forward to, I look forward to hearing from some of you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Marcy. Thank you again for inviting me to come talk with the both of you. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethherald.com professionals.